And for the next three weeks, we're going to be going through a series talking through three components of the mission that we have as a church of ABF. We're grateful for what God's doing here in our church and for what's ahead. And one of the things that we felt was important uh, as a church was even starting this past spring, we decided to come together as an elder board and staff and start compiling what it is we believe we want to be about as a church community. If we're going to do life together, we figure it's important that we're on the same page in that decision as to what is the mission of ABF. What are we about? If, if, if we get cut, what is it that we bleed? And for us, we've spent a, a lot of time talking through that this spring as an elder board. And it was fun. Uh, we're grateful for Bill Barry led us in an exercise where each of the, the elders had a kind of a sheet of paper and kind of talking through what were some of the specific values that they believed they should be elevated as a church uh, within our congregation. And it was fun just to see the, uh, the collaboration there and to see the overlap where we had between the different elders on our, on our team, and Bob, you can attest to that, just seeing how, like, man, there's just a pattern of how God was moving. And then and, uh, on top of that, what God's been stirring in my heart and my life for the last 15 years of ministry really fell nicely as an umbrella over three specific areas that we want to be about as a church. And so, like I said, if we're going to do life together and ministry together, it's important that we're on the same page. And for the next three weeks, we're going to be going through a series talking through three components of the mission that we have as a church of ABF. And we're going to try to, to not make it, sometimes when you hear, oh, a series on missions, you're like, get comfortable, get the pillow out. But we're going to try to keep it dynamic, keep it alive, keep it moving. And so we're going to be looking at our mission here over the next three weeks. But let's start with a word of prayer. God, we just come to you right now and just grateful for this opportunity to be in your house. We're thankful for this chance to dig into your word. We're thankful how you didn't leave us to guess on these things. You set a, a, a clear path, a clear track on what it is that you wanted to be valued within your church. We pray that the, the things that we share and the things that, that I teach from in your word this morning would really resonate in the hearts of the people in this room. We just want so desperately for this to be a church that really makes a difference in this community. For this to be a church that people are drawn to, not because of us as people, but because you're present here at ABF. That's our heart's desire. We commit this time here this morning into your hands. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, the mission, and you guys can see that if you have your bulletin, that we've landed on as a, the best succinct description of what we want to be about as a church. You can read it there at the top of your notes as you open your bulletin. It says this, we, ABF, exist to encounter Jesus Christ, equip followers for his service, and extend his love to the world. These three areas, the encounter, equip, extend, we want to be the filter that we run everything that we do within the church through those three areas, the idea of encounter, equip, extend. And for the next three weeks, I'm going to have a chance to talk through each of those areas with you to make sure that we're kind of, we're united on this, this mission together. And the first one, as it doesn't take uh, too much to realize, is this idea of encountering Jesus Christ, encountering Jesus Christ. And what comes to mind when you think of the word encounter? I was looking up in the specific definition 
of the word encounter is this, to come upon face-to-face or an unexpected meeting. Those two images, I think, are a great picture of what we describe as encounter. And a lot of us have had some crazy encounters in our life and a lot of things that ring in our mind when we think of the word encounter. I think back to a specific encounter that I had some years back. I was invited to speak at a discipleship school in the Bahamas, which is always an invitation that you look forward to. And you're, you had to think about that invitation for about uh, three seconds. Yes, I'll be there. And so at the, at the end of the time that I was teaching there, the director of this uh, ministry, which is actually a fantastic uh, ministry down there called Patmos, and the director said, you know, you've got some, a, a, an afternoon that you might want to kill. He said, one of the cool things that we have to do in the area here is to go out on a shark dive. And, uh, and so I, I was with a close friend of mine there, and I said, you know, that sounds like a great idea. So we, we went on a chartered boat, and we went out into uh, the ocean, and there's this stretch of water that it was, it was probably about 30 feet deep, and then it was, uh, you could see, it was interesting, because you could see the difference, so it was about 30 feet deep, and then there was basically a, a drop-off to, I don't know, he said like 500 feet, something like that, uh, where it, then all of a sudden the bottom of the ocean went completely black. So we parked the boat right on the edge of where it was like, you could see 30 feet down and where it went over this edge. And then they took the, they had this brainy idea, and you've maybe seen it in Shark Week. Anybody else watch Shark Week? Uh, there's like one or two of you that'll admit it. Some of the ladies are like, I do too. Uh, but but they, took this, they took this chum bucket, and you know the idea behind that. And, and they dropped it into the water, and they've got the kind of the blood and guts coming out of this deal. It's kind of a gross thing. But as you watch, and you're kind of standing on the side of the boat, you started seeing these sharks come from the deep water, start pouring out of the deep and coming and circling around the boat. It was kind of an eerie thing. First there was two, three, four, five, then like 20 sharks that are circling around and nudging into the boat. And you're like, I'm pretty sure this wouldn't pass any safety standards in California. Uh, and, and so they're there, and they're, 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 there's this bucket, and they're just running into it. And they said, the cool thing is now, we're going to drop the bucket to the bottom, the 30 feet down, and then all the sharks will be drawn to that, and you can go in and snorkel above them. <laughs> and and so, so I thought this was a great idea. So, so they, they extended a rope uh, out to the, the back of the boat, and they dropped the chum bucket to the bottom. You could see all the sharks circling around about 30 feet down. And so they said, go head out, go head in. And so uh, I did. And so I went out with my friend, and there's a rope in the back, and I'm holding on to the rope in, in, the, in front of me. And I don't know why they had the rope as, like, to tug your remains back in. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm there, and I'm holding on to this rope, and literally I'm watching below as these sharks are circling around. But one of them, it's probably about a 10 to 12-foot reef shark, got kind of bored with this, like, pointless bucket down there. He decided to swim up and see what the morons were connected to the rope. So, so he come, the, the shark comes up, I'm there, and literally, this shark, about a 12-foot reef shark, it gets bigger every time I tell the story, it'll be 14 <laughs> next week, and uh, he swims literally right past the rope, right at eye level, so I'm eye to eye with, with this reef shark that's just been in water with blood all around it, and my, as you can imagine, my heart is racing. This was one of those encounters, I survived, obviously, I'm standing here. This was one of those encounters that you'll never forget. This was one that I'll be probably telling that story and the shark will get bigger and bigger every year for the next 30 years because there's certain things 
that mark our memory that we'll never, ever forget. Now, as crazy as that is to have a shark encounter, and probably some of you could tell your own story, the truth is an encounter with Almighty God, the creator of the universe, the one that spoke things into existence, the one that could end our life, our existence in a millisecond, an encounter with Almighty God makes this shark story seem pathetic. And that's the truth. And that's our desire as a church. We're, in desire, we're desiring to see the community around us to have an encounter with Almighty God when they show up here at church. In Acts 9, verses 1 through 9, you guys can turn with me there. This was the story that came to mind at Acts 9, where Saul had his encounter. When you think of encounter, don't you think of Saul's experience? When Saul had his encounter with Jesus Christ, we'll read about it here in verse 1 of chapter 9 in the book of Acts. It says this, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord not a good idea, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, I love that title of believers, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul. Why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I absolutely love this story. This is such a great picture of how God works in someone's life when they encounter him. How God takes his biggest opponent, which is kind of a, a funny thing when you're almighty God, the idea of an opponent. He takes his biggest opponent, Saul, and turns him into his greatest spokesman. His greatest opponent, after what? After what? After an encounter with Jesus Christ. After an encounter with Jesus Christ. Because you see, when we encounter Jesus Christ, that radically changes everything. That changes everything. It doesn't take an a ongoing and, a, and, a, and all kinds of experiences. One encounter with Jesus Christ can redirect our lives. When our story collides with Jesus Christ, it changes everything. What was happening in this story is Paul, as you saw, his name was Saul at the time, was going along doing his, his deal, was doing what he thought was best in his own eyes. And what does it say that he did? He was looking to actually hunt believers and bring them to justice. So th this person who was actually out hunting Christians, the, the followers of the way, which I love that title, as he's hunt, hunting them, what happens? A light from heaven. Can you imagine what that must have been like? What kind of a, a, an experience they're standing when this light and voice from heaven comes? And what happens when you, he has this encounter with God? What's the automatic thing? And you see this trend in scripture throughout. What happens? What position does he take? He gets on his face. 
He's on his face because the truth is, when we encounter God, that's the only natural response. All of our pomp and arrogance melts before Almighty God. And that's our prayer is for this, this community, for this area, is that people would have true encounters with Jesus Christ. And that's, that's true for most of us. We can think of our story going along, doing our life, and kind of what the, the, the pattern that I've noticed in most testimonies, you're kind of going along, doing your thing, and then what happens? God kind of drops a boulder on our life, doesn't he? Anybody else have that in their testimony? We're going along, doing our own thing, and God says, you know what? I'm going to pursue this person, and I'm going to make myself irresistible. And he chases after us. He takes whatever needs to happen to pull the wool out from uh, 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 in front of our eyes, to pull the mat out from under us, and we collapse in his presence. And most of our, our stories, if we're really honest with ourselves, that's where it all started. It started with an encounter with God. It didn't start with an intellectual explanation that somebody sat down and gave the uh, real clear four-point uh, sermon, uh, but it had to do with an encounter with God where he pursued us. And that's what happened with the story of Saul. And then God does an amazing thing as you follow the story there. He changes his name from Saul to Paul. He gives him a new mission, a new purpose, and redirects his life. And that's our prayer for this community, that people would come and encounter Jesus Christ and be redirected. Now, we don't believe that there's a secret formula for calling on this encounter of God in our church, but we do believe that there's some certain practices that help set the table for him to come and dine with us. Does that make sense? We don't believe that there's, you just say these three words and there's going to be this encounter with God, but we do believe that there's some practices that helps set the table for him to come and dine with us. And that's what we're going to do over these, the remaining minutes is just go through three different practices that I believe help set the table for an encounter with Christ. The first one is this. Worship that reveals the majesty of God. Let's take a look at an example of this from Acts as well. Ch turn over to chapter 16 in the book of Acts. Acts 16.25 Worship that reveals the majesty of God. It says this. About midnight, Paul and Silas, the same Paul that was, had the encounter, were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately, immediately all the do doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. I guess that wouldn't go too well when he's telling his authorities. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, look what happens. He fell down before Paul and Silas, a trend there. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The same invitation we have presently. You and your household. And they spoke, in the, word of the, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and, was washed, and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought him up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he 
had believed in God. I've always loved this example of someone finding joy amidst their circumstances, right? It doesn't kind of make anything that we're going through kind of pale in comparison when you think of a man stuck in prison at midnight. He's got shackles on his feet, and what's he doing? He's praying and singing songs of praise. I love it because that's where it starts. That's where this encounter with God that this jailer is about to have, what happens? The earth shakes, the doors open, chains fall off, and a family comes to Christ. It's an awesome thing because when, when worship was elevated, when he, they chose to just proclaim the greatness of God, when they're singing his praises at, in the middle of the night, can you imagine midnight in darkness, just hearing the sound of, of, of voices, prisoners praising God, that's when God showed up. That's when God showed up. Many of us can point to a time of, of worship that we've been a part of where you're like, man, God was clearly present there. God was clearly present there. I remember some years back, the church that I was working at was hosting a, a concert that David Crowder was doing. I'm a huge David Crowder fan. And uh, I was in the back and was just serving in a capacity there. But during the time of worship, and maybe you've had these experiences before, there's just like a sense of God's presence in that place. You couldn't explain it. Now, I get it theologically, the idea of omnipresence, he's everywhere, but there's a certain times where God draws near to his people, and that's what I'm talking about here. And sometimes it, when we're worshiping God, when we're proclaiming his worth, God draws near to his people, and that's what happened here in the story from, from Acts. God, God draw near to, to his people, and it was unbelievable. The earth shook, doors opened, chains fell off, and people got saved. That's what I pray for here. That's what I pray for here, that the earth would shake. When we're worshiping here, it wouldn't be like, yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a good song. I like those. But there would be, be worship that's happening that goes up that the neighbors across the street are like, what's going on there? There's something crazy going on because when God's worth is proclaimed, and it, it, it drives me crazy when people say like, yeah, it's a chance for us to bring God glory as if he's lacking glory. Like, no, we're just revealing his glory. That's what worship does. Worship reveals God's greatness, how awesome he is when we speak of his character and how amazing he is. A lot of times in worship, have you ever been here before where you're listening to a worship song and you're like, man, that's so true. I haven't thought about that part of his character in a long time. Worship reveals his character. And when we start proclaiming that, God shows up. God draws near when worship reveals his majesty. When it, we expose, I love the, the verse that God, when he was talking uh, about in, through the psalmist, he says, um, ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name in Psalm 96, 8. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that's due his name. He's, all, he's worthy of it. It's our job just to proclaim it. And that's what we do in our worship here. And I believe if we get serious about that on a Sunday morning, God will show up. Depends on our heart coming in though, right? It depends on that a lot. Will we allow God to be present here because of our stance? Is that, is that something that we're gonna be like, yeah, I'm just kind of showing up and kind of doing some songs that I've heard before? Or man, are we coming with that expectation that God will show up here on a Sunday morning? The next area so not a, it's not a one-time event, uh, but it's something that consistently happens in worship. Another area that I believe sets the table for God's presence is this. Biblical preaching that shapes, 
trains, and directs. Biblical preaching that shapes, trains, and directs. Acts 8.26, you can jump back. We're staying in Acts, you can see there. Acts 8.26 is a great picture of this. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, I thought this was interesting, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Let's pause there for a second. I, I love this, this picture of, the, of, of this pagan official that, that obviously knew nothing about God's word. He's, he's reading it and completely confused. And what happens? God directs Philip to come and unveil God's greatness through teaching him. What does this mean? I love that Isaiah where there's still presently so much confusion about people reading in the Old Testament and confused that Jesus was the fulfillment of what was spoken about. It breaks my heart that people can read all these stories from the Old Testament and have no idea that they're all pointing to Jesus Christ. So he goes on and Philip, God uses Philip to explain the connection between the prophecy that was predicted about Jesus in the present day, how Jesus had met those prophecies and what happens. As you go on in the story, and we don't have time to go into all of it, but verse 36, the Ethiopian says, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? What prevents me from being baptized? He's saying, man, th this Jesus, I want to follow him. I want to I commit to living my life for him. It just needed some explanation. There needed to have the dots connected between the old and the new. And I love that picture of preaching. That picture of preaching is, and, and basically what, what I'd say, and maybe I'll get some pushback from this, but I believe we're all called to be preachers. Not just the, the bald guy is standing up front, but all of us are, are, are called to proclaim, preach, proclaim Christ. And that is when we encounter him. Look how God shows up. When, when, when God, when the word was presented, that's when God showed up. He made himself irresistible for this Ethiopian. And he said, man, I got to get saved now. Not a week from now, not a month from now. I want to get saved now. I want to get baptized. I want to proclaim that inward decision. That's what happens when the word is proclaimed. I was talking to a, a newer woman in our church recently and talking just a little bit about what her experience has been like here at the church. And she was saying how in her first three or four weeks here, there's multiple times that she really sensed that she needed to just walk out. She's, she sensed that, that God was speaking to her so clearly. And she is, it was funny because she's like, oh no, and it had nothing to do with what you were saying. And I was like, well, that's good. That's encouraging. Uh, she's like, it had nothing to do with what you were saying. But she just sensed that God was speaking to her, was meeting her at her, at her place of need, was, was, was being real. And she was encountering God through a service here. What an awesome privilege that is. What an awesome thing. And I believe the, 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 that all hinges on one simple thing. Opening God's word and saying, what does God have to say to us here this morning? 
What does, with, with no real agenda other than let's see what message God has for us here this morning. What does he want to speak to us? What does he want to speak to us? I believe three things that comes from that, from that invitation when we say, God, I just want you to speak to us from the, the word. I don't want to go there and I, want, I don't want to assess the pastor and, and, and critique every single point and, uh, and point out, out all the errors. That he, you know what I'm saying? Like When we just show up strictly with a heart to say, God, what do you want to say to me through your word this morning? I think there's some things that happen there. The, the, it describes in, in the description there, shapes, trains, and directs. What does God have to say to us? The idea of shaping. Have you guys noticed that if I were to ask you three weeks ago what my, two of my points were, this was a test because John was speaking three weeks ago, what two, what two of the points that John was speaking on, I'm pretty sure most of us, without referring to our notes, could be like, I don't remember. I, I remember it was something about Moses, maybe. And you know what I'm saying? Like, there, there's a certain piece of us, and I, I, for years, would feel guilty about this because I'd attend church every single Sunday, and you'd, you'd, you'd come out of it and you'd be like, man, I can't remember what point number three was, what, what the fourth E was. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're like, man, I, I have no idea. But the truth is, I believe that scripture shapes us. It's a gradual process that before we know it, when we keep having good meals that, uh, of God's word, that be, before we know it, it starts to shape our worldview. We start to see things differently. When we're digging into scripture on our own, when we're unpacking truths from, from God's word, God shapes us. He molds us more into his likeness. It might not be about remembering every single point, which you'll probably forget before lunch, but the hope is that it's a shaping process. It, it, it molds us. The second idea there is first shapes, second trains, it trains us. I, I love Isaiah 55, 11. God said about his word, my word shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish what I, what, that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. What he sends it for, he sends it to shape us, to train us. This idea that we don't have it all figured out. Why don't you tell your neighbor right now, you don't have it all figured out. Go ahead. You don't. This, this, this idea, this idea that is this, and that's why we dig into God's word. And husbands are getting a real joy out of saying that right now, which is a little concerning to me. But this, this idea that we don't have it all figured out, that there needs to be a training component. There, we didn't come out of the box with all of the programs downloaded, Right. Like, there, there's some mods, there's some, uh, some additions. My, my son's into this crazy game, Minecraft. I don't know if any of you have kids that are in that stage. It's crazy. The graphics are lame. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, but, 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 of course, they have, they have all these different mods you have to add on to it because you're not fully, this character, this box guy isn't quite there yet. And, and, and so, but the idea is similarly is that, that we didn't come out fully equipped there needs to be a training component to prepare us for what God has in store for us. There's a training element from his, from his word. The third one there is directs, that it directs us. You see, there's a distinct difference between preaching and teaching. Bible explanation is not preaching. It's teaching. Bible explanation, we're looking here, preaching actually directs some things that we're to maybe do a little bit differently. And when I read God's word, I feel like it's packed with all kinds of, of application and things that are saying, hey, you're doing it this way, 
and you need to be going this way. Anybody else get that when you're in God's word? That's what, that's what I sense in that idea of direction. Thy word is a, a lamp unto my feet and what? A light into my path. That's the idea here. God, how, how am I supposed to respond to offense in my life? How am I supposed to overcome addiction? How am I supposed to raise three crazy kids? Like all these things God's word speaks to. It directs us. So it shapes, it trains, it directs. And this idea of God showing up and encounter with God, I believe it happens when we dig into his word and we ask on a Sunday morning or on our own in our quiet time, God, what do you want to teach me from your word this morning? What an amazing question. And then it sets the table for us to encounter Christ. This last one I think is, is pretty clear and you can see it there in the, um, your notes is this idea, and it wouldn't be a Sunday morning if we didn't mention this. Prayer is the, is the third component that I believe allows us to encounter Almighty God. Prayer that deepens intimacy with Christ and releases his power. Another way that we encounter Jesus Christ is through the power of prayer. It's, it's something that every single Sunday we want to value. We want to value we, from the beginning of the service, prior to the service, we have a group of people coming together to pray. During the service, you see prayer happening. At the end of the service, we see prayer happening because we believe prayer allows us or sets the table for us to encounter God. An intimate relationship with Christ can't be had without speaking to him. Can you imagine me up here trying to tell you I have this awesome relationship with Adrian, with my wife Adrian, and I, and I, and I said, you know what? But really, we never talk. You know, it's, in fact, it's been months since we've spoken. You know, you'd be like a little concerned, I imagine. You'd be like, wait a second. You can't claim to have an intimate relationship with your wife if you never speak to her, if I, if I, but, but that's not the case. My wife and I love to talk. It's more often that I'm like, honey, I miss talking. She calls me chatty patty because at night when we're like, she's trying to fall asleep, I'm just there talking about this and that. And she's like, all right, enough already. I get it. And, and so the, the idea of speaking, an interaction with God, this, this conversation, this ongoing dialogue, that's what leads to intimacy with God. And so it's a daily invite to encounter God, talking to him, interacting with him, doing life with him. But the, the truth is that I also believe that there's something to be said. A lot of times we've taken this prayer idea and we've thought of it as just something that happens in our own personal life with Christ. But the truth is, I think we're missing out on a big piece of the power of prayer when we don't pray collectively. Well, there's something that God does when we show up and when we come together and we cry out to him as one united voice. A couple weeks ago, as I mentioned, when John was speaking about uh, from the story of Moses, I guess that was just last week, there was a text that he looked at. And if you guys want to glance at it with me, it's in Exodus 3.7. He started his story with this explanation. Exodus 3.7, I thought was the perfect picture of this unity in prayer and how God responds to it. Exodus 3, 7 says this. I've surely seen, this is God talking to Moses. I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings and I have come down to deliver them. Let's just pause there. I just wanted to just look at those couple verses. We were looking at this as a, as a staff, and I, I just couldn't get my mind off of that, that verse there. 
Take a look at what, what Jesus, what God heard from heaven. He doesn't say that he heard their cries, plural. It was singular. I heard the cry and I've heard their cry. That's a united voice. When we come together and we cry out to God, it's, it's something that catches Almighty God's ear. And what does it say how he responds to hearing God's cry? It says, I and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and what does God do? And I have come down to deliver them. When we collectively call out to God, when we in one voice as the body of Christ are calling out to him, what does he do? He shows up. He shows up. Talk about an encounter with God. Ask the Egyptians what that looked like over the next months to come. What an encounter when God's people come together and cry out for him to move and to do something. It brings him his presence down. It says, I and I've come down to deliver him. When we call out collectively, God shows up. God shows up. There's power in united prayer. And I love this, this picture of when, when we have something as a body, if we get serious about praying over the Conejo Valley, what could God do for God to show up and say, man, I'm going to come down and I'm going to deliver those people. I'm going to rescue those people that are headed to a Christless existence absent of Jesus Christ in their life. I'm going to show up as the rescuer. What would happen if that was our united cry? That's talk about, a, talk about an encounter. That's what I'm so adamant about, about prayer within the, the church is I want to see that happening all over the place. I've been talking to our staff, and you may notice this. We've said it multiple times in our staff meetings. I've said, you know what? If somebody talks to you and brings up something that's going on with them or something that's kind of weighing heavy on them, take the moment right then to pray for them. Take that moment now. And, and what if we did that as a, as a body? What if instead of like, hey, I'll pray for you someday. But what if, you said, what if you said, hey, why don't we take a second right now and pray over that? What would happen if as a body we started uniting over some of the areas that are our are, are concerns to us, some of the, the burdens that we're carrying? I believe God could do an amazing thing. I think this idea of encounter is a fantastic starting point for us as a church because and I don't know about you, but I don't want to settle just for ordinary church. I don't want to just settle for just like, yeah, we're, we're in the routine. It's nine o'clock. We go to church. We do, do that. Then we go on to lunch. With it. You know what I mean? Like, I want this to be a place where people encounter God. Anybody else for that? Anybody else tired of just like, yeah, let's just, like, let's, let's, let's elevate the expectations of what it would look like for us as a body to come together I've tasted the living water, and I want more. I want more of it. I desire more of that personally, and I desire more of that collectively as the body of Christ here within this church. So those three areas, can we agree on those things? Worship that reveals the majesty of God. Biblical preaching that shapes, trains, and directs. Prayer that deepens intimacy with Christ and releases his power. I believe God could do some amazing things in and through us if those were a priority of this church. I even pray for us as we conclude. God, we thank you so much that you are a present God in our life, that you're not just up on, on a, in a throne, absent and, and uninvolved in our lives, that you choose to come down and engage with us your people, that you've chosen for each one of us that's embraced Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, you've chosen to pursue us, to chase after us, to be the magnet that you are. 
God, that's our desire is that more people would encounter you. That us personally would not just have a one-time encounter, but it would be an ongoing experience in our life. That we keep encountering you on a day-to-day basis, on a moment-to-moment basis. That we wouldn't settle for the things that this life offers. That we'd allow you to be the one that satisfies us. God, we desire an encounter with you, God. We're thankful that that prayer is not one that goes unanswered. That you respond to that ask, God. We praise you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray.